0: Well, man, it is a real honor to be here today at High Street, and um, I was sharing this in the first service that, believe it or not, I actually got saved about six months before we got here to High Street, and so this church, this home, this community really has been uh, like our family uh, for over uh, 10 years now, and uh, I really believe this, that whenever I get the opportunity, I want to give honor where honor is due, and so firstly, I want to thank you, uh, High Street Church. Uh, Thank you for who you are I can't tell you how instrumental you were in my maturation and my sanctification uh, when I was a brand new follower of Jesus. You showed me how to grow in love and grace. You showed me how to be a follower of Jesus, and for, so for that, I am forever grateful for this church and this family. And then secondly, I also want to honor someone very special to me and my family, and that's Pastor Eddie and Miss Cindy. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, you mean more uh, to me than what I can actually get out here from stage, from than words can share. I mean, you've cared for us, you've loved for us, you've pastored us, and so I just wanna say thank you. I'm incredibly honored to be here. Would you put your hands together for our pastor, Pastor Eddie? <laughs> we love you, Pastor. We love you, Miss Cindy. Well, today, if you've got a Bible, if you would, we are actually gonna be camping out in Mark once again, uh, and we're actually jumping forward a few chapters. We're gonna be in Mark chapter number 10. Now, as you guys are turning there,, uh, how many of y'all were blessed by the worship service this morning? We all blessed by that? I tell you what, it's just absolutely incredible. We can put our hands together for uh, Kyle and the band. You know, what I love, what I love about singing worship songs is it's really like, uh, it's really like the soundtrack to your life. Like when you sing those songs, you're, you're not just singing the song, you're, you're putting your life and your story in there as you begin to sing truth. There's something about singing that over your life and remembering where God has taken you, remembering how God has been faithful and how he's blessed you. And so uh, I would just encourage you, man, when you connect those two, when you connect how God has worked in your life to worship, it's incredibly impactful. Well, today uh, we are going to be in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to be down in verse number 17. And we're taking a look at a story uh, that's called, commonly called The Rich Young Ruler. So if you would join me as we read God's word this morning. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his feet before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Would you pray with me one more time that God would speak through his word, and that most importantly, he would just get me out of the way and we would get to see Jesus for who he is and see what he has to say to us today. Father, we thank you for these moments that we get to share. We thank you, Father, for the way that you are working in and through God, your word, I pray that you would speak to those that come in today, maybe beat up and banged up. Father, maybe that are walking in here with a limp. Father, I pray for those that maybe are coming here for the first time or the first time in a long time. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, hey, this morning, um, I love feedback, and so if you want to shout me down, I'm all for that. But we're going to be a little interactive this morning, and so if you would turn to three people around you, and what we're going to do is we are going to shout out the message title. We're going to throw the message on the screen. The message title is this Shout at your neighbor, say, Bad news for good people. Find, more, two, find two more people you want to yell in their ear, say, Bad news for good people. Bad news for good people. <laughs> Have, um, have you ever felt like, man, you were just crushing it? Like everything that you did, everywhere that you went, everything was going your way. You ever had that feeling? Like you're just walking on cloud nine. Like everything was falling into place. Well, I had one of those moments just a few months ago, and typically at our home, once I get back from work, me and my kids, we love to play. We love to do like wrestling and jiu-jitsu, and then we'll go and we'll do a little bit of like Bible reading, and usually I try and put in like a little bit of like a spiritual element to it. And so this is my, this is my family up here, actually. This is my beautiful wife, Savannah, and then our kids. This is Coda, and then Willow on the right, and then Hero. And then the next photo here is them being absolute crazy. This is typical of my kids. And then the next photo here shows us at these times, these moments where we wanna put in and like talk about a spiritual discipline or talk about something that God's doing. And so this night, I thought, you know what would be great? I wanna ask them, how do you get to heaven? Because we just got done reading about the rich young ruler. His question is, how do you get to heaven? And so I was thinking, you know what? I'm gonna ask my kids. I wonder, man, do they get it, right? Do they get, how do they enter heaven? And so I asked him the question, I said, would, what, what if I sold my house and I gave all my clothes away and took all the money and I gave it to the church? Would I enter heaven? They go, no. And I'm thinking, yes, I'm getting it right. Hey, I know, I know, I know. What if I was super kind to animals and I gave candy to all the kids? Then would I get into heaven? And they go, no. I think, oh, I know, I know. What if I did all my chores and I never missed Sunday school? Then could I go to heaven? No, they said. And it's right around this time I'm thinking, dude, I'm crushing it as a parent. Like somebody, like I need to go and write myself a parenting book right now, right? Anybody with me? So I asked him the coup de gras. I say, okay, how do you get to heaven? And my youngest, the one closest to us, he stands up full of confidence and he goes, You gotta be dead. <laughs> How many know that pride comes before the fall? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Man, How true that is. You've got to be dead to go to heaven. No truer words have been spoken. Well, today I want to talk about how do you get to heaven? It seems like a very simple question, but believe it or not, for many people here today and many people in the United States and the world, it's a not so easy answer. In fact, Pew Research in 2021, they took a poll of people in the United States and nearly three quarters of U.S. adults, thought this was really encouraging, three quarters still believe in heaven. But of those three quarters, nearly 65% believed you had to be a good person to go to heaven. You see, this for most people is the held assumption of how to get to heaven. In fact, for most people, the logic goes something like this. There is a good God, Who lives in a good place, and that is where it's reserved for good people, right? I know you've had this conversation with friends, or maybe you were thinking that as well. This is the common idea. Good God, good place for good people. In fact, this thought is actually pervasive within the world religions, Most world religions, most people believe that if you work and you do well, it doesn't really matter what the world religion is, if you are just a good person and follow the tenets, that it makes you a better person. And so at the end of the day, all the religions eventually lead to God. So at the end of the day, just be a good person and you'll be okay. But I want us to take a look at what Jesus says. How many know that Jesus is savage this morning? Like there's something about Jesus that he upsets the status quo in our life. And Jesus He says some things here that shock us. And we're going to look at it. Look at verse number 25. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Bad news. Man, it is bad news. And the disciples, look at their reaction. It says, The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, Who in the world can be saved? If That guy can't get in. How in the world are we getting in? Jesus literally is calling into question this guy's eternal life. He's calling into question whether or not this guy gets in to heaven. And so the first question obviously this morning is, why? Now, you would think that the followers of Jesus, these are blue-collar guys. These are fishermen, right? These are guys that more than likely did not like rich and powerful people, right? It's not like this guy was out there and they said, oh man, this is what's gonna happen, right? You would would think that when it came to this type of person, the disciples would have really pushed away. They'd be like, this guy deserves what he's getting right now as he walks away sad. Oh, it serves him right. Or maybe, maybe, maybe as this rich young ruler runs up to Jesus, I always think they're like, hey, watch this, watch this. Jesus, he's gonna punk him. He's gonna get him so good. Look at him, look at him. There he goes. He's sad. He's so sad. But that's that's not what they say, is it? You see, they show up here. Jesus says what he says. And look at the response of the disciples. If he can't get into heaven, who can? You see, this was not somebody who ruled with an iron fist, who stepped on the community and people that were poor. This is a man Who exhibits the very best that this society has to offer this guy is the Tim Tebow come on somebody of this society he's the total package right ladies (laughs) verse 19 look he says you know the commandments look watch Jesus he's again he's so savage he gets him he goes you know the commandments you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. Now, it's interesting. The commandments that Jesus gives, he doesn't give all 10, does he? He only gives a few. And the reason I believe that he gives these is to be, it's a, it's a moment where this young man can be introspective about which rules he's following. The commandments Jesus lists is, I believe, call to attention this young man's power, his position, and his possessions. He says, do you defraud? AKA, do you misrepresent yourself in business? Do you bully other business owners? Do you bully other people? Do you lie? Do you use this to gain an advantage? Or maybe this, do you steal? Do you exploit other people in your care? What would the people in your company think, Mr. Rich Young Ruler? You see, relationally, Jesus is asking, how have you managed your power, influence, and money? And look what he says. He goes, teacher, I'm crushing it. All these I've kept since I was a boy. Now, you would expect that Jesus, in this moment, if he said something like, I'm crushing it, Jesus, that he would go, liar. I got you. Now I know. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, I've kept all these since I was a boy, Jesus, and what does Jesus say? He accepts it. Think about that for a moment. Here is a man who says, according to the law, perfect. I don't know about you, but this is a really good guy. He is, according to the law, perfect, He's a man of great moral attractiveness, and the disciples' response shows this because they say, if this guy can't get in, I don't know who in the world can. This is a man of great success. If you're a dad here, this is the guy you want to marry your daughter. Ladies, this is the guy, if they like it, he should put a ring on it, right? This is your guy. And they say, if this guy can't get in, who can? Shout down your neighbor and say, bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Jesus, again, is showing us it's bad news for good people. Now, I need you to hear me this morning. Jesus isn't saying that having wealth and acquiring wealth is inherently bad or it's automatically evil. But on the other hand, he does say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of us, we may be listening here this morning and you would say, Woo, I am good because, brother, I ain't got no money, I ain't got no job, and my pets' heads are falling off. Come on, somebody, right? Like, I don't have anything going for me. Maybe you're here and you're a broke college student, like, I ain't got to worry about money, Ben, like, not a big deal. Or maybe you're a millennial like me and you're like, man, life is not going my way. Like, when am I going to catch my break, right? But that, that would be foolish because look what Jesus does here. What Jesus is doing is he's absolutely talking about the man's wealth, but it's more than this, Jesus is actually getting to the very heart of the man. So here's the rich young ruler on the outside. He appears to have it all together. He's even externally humble, right? Like he runs up and he bows before Jesus. He's, he's there and he shows almost like this humility. I say almost because the inner working shows something different. I mean, if we were to put him in today's day and age, he would be a 30-year-old executive, multi-millionaire on the partnership track. Right? He's got his portfolio, he's got his, all of his investments. Like, this guy has it going on. And yet, the fact remains, he comes to who he sees as a good teacher, and he asks the question, am I okay? I wonder if you've asked that question recently. Am, am I okay? What more must I do? You may be here this morning, or you may be watching online, and you're asking that same question What must I do to enter the kingdom of God? You see, this man who seems to have everything still seems to be missing something. He runs to Jesus and he's asking, what must I do? Look at verse number 18 with me. Jesus responds, he goes, after asking what must I do, he goes, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Now, Jesus isn't saying what some people think that he's saying, that he's not God, right? Jesus doesn't say, you call me good, I'm not, right? That's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's calling attention to the young man's thinking. He goes, why are you running to someone that you see as a normal human being and using this word good? See, this word good is a loaded word. It almost means perfection, he goes, he goes, you use this word, I have an issue, a bone to pick with you about how you use and how you view the word good and bad. And he begins to focus this man's attention. I wonder this morning, as we walked in and we're going back and talking about this idea of heaven and that how good people, apparently, that's what society believes, that's how you get to heaven. I wonder how this morning you would define good. You see, the problem with good is that it's subjective. I mean, how good is good enough? One of my favorite preachers, Andy Stanley, he uses that phrase, how good is good enough? In fact, this morning, I would like us to make just a little bit of space for that question in your life. And so if you would humor me for a moment, if you would get out your phone, take your phone out of your pocket, out of your purse, off the pew in front of you, and I want you to raise it up, show me you got it, wave it around like you just don't care. Awesome, awesome, Now, what I want you to do is this. There is, I want you to go to your notes. As you can see right over here at our Next Steps booth at both sides, we have what's called a faith basics guide. And I love the staff and the pastoral staff here at High Street. One of the things that they do is they ask some insightful questions. And on the very first page, they ask a question. I honestly want us to think about this today and I want you to write down your number. But the question is this. They say, if you were to die today, how sure are you that you would go to heaven. And then it gives some percentages, right? It says, what percentage would you be? There's zero, 25, 50, 75, or 100. Now, I want you to take a moment. I want you to write down your number. Now, you may be here, and you may think, Ben, man, I have really messed up. Like, you have no idea. I can't believe I just darkened the door of this church, but I'm here, and so I'm gonna put down a zero or a 1%. Ben, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm at that percentage, Or maybe you're here and you say, Ben, I've been out of church for a long time. I've done some bad things. I'm kind of at 25%. Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm a 50 percenter. Or maybe you're like, Ben, I show up every week. I'm crushing it, right? I I don't know if you know, I've got my streak on the YouVersion Bible app. It's up to 25, Ben. So obviously, right, I got a high number. I want you to take that and I want you to write down your number. Write down your number. And this is what I want to do. I just want to know who I'm talking to. If you'd humor me for one more moment. If you would just close your eyes. I just wanna know who I'm talking to. If you would say, hey Ben, that's me. I'm within that zero to 50 range. That's me, I'm in that zero to 50 range. That's my number. Would you just raise your hand real quick so I know? Awesome, awesome, thank you, thank you. Anybody else, that's my number? Awesome, thank you. You say, Ben, uh, I'm in that 50 to 75 range. That's me. Would you raise your hand? Awesome, thank you, appreciate that. Yes, thank you. And then you say, Ben, I'm in that 75 to 99 range. That's me. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys can open your eyes. Well, I want to take us through a couple of examples of how we typically view goodness, right? Because we've talked about this, right? Goodness feels subjective, right? Back in 1482, Leonardo da Vinci, he wrote a letter to the Duke of Milan, and he was requesting to gain his patronage and his support. Uh, In the short letter, Da Vinci lists his skills, which if you do get a chance to go read this, I would encourage you to go read it. It's incredible, some of the things that Da Vinci actually lists in his resume. If you feel bad about yourself now, go read that. So Da Vinci, he lists these skills and his experiences to this potential patron. But little did he know that this little letter that he sent there to the Duke of Milan would end up being what is now referred to as the modern day resume. We use it every single day. If you were to get into uh, a, a job, you want a job, you're on LinkedIn or you're looking for a job on Monster or whatever, you're gonna go and you're gonna fill out your resume of your achievements, your schooling, the things that you've done really well and you're gonna turn that in because what a resume is, the purpose of it is to get you in somewhere that you're not. It is a letter that opens a door to opportunity. It says, this is why I should be admitted. Now, not only does it allow us to get into jobs or schools, but it's actually, I believe, a part of our human psyche, the human mentality. In fact, most of society, almost all religions, and I believe the human heart is structured in such a way to operate off of a resume mentality. It says that this is how I'm going to be accepted and let in. So we always give off our best. I mean, think about it. It's even in how we choose our friends, our friend group. I'll prove it to you. Uh, How many of you remember your first day of high school or college or your first day at work? You remember that day, right? I bet you thought more about your outfit on that day than you did at any other time while you were there, right? Am I right, anybody? Right, you thought more about it. Why, Why is that? Why were you so concerned about how you looked on that first day way more than everything else? It was because for the first time, you were going to walk in, and what were people going to be doing? They're judging you. Who is this person? Do I like them? Are they cool? Can I hang out with them? Will I let them into my friend circle or my clique? We do this when it comes to our friends. We also do this, believe it or not, when it comes to our relationships. We base our relationships off of a resume mentality. We're sizing them up as they're sizing up us. Right? We're sitting across the table. They're sitting there judging us based off of our looks. We're judging them based off of their personality. Right? We're judging them off their income generating capability. I'm judging them off of their parenting potential. Right? Come on, somebody. Right? We're constantly looking at relationships through a resume mentality. And the rich young ruler, he shows up and he says, Jesus, I've been successful economically. I've been crushing it socially. And oh, by the way, according to the law, Perfect. Do you see the resume mentality? Do you see the achievement mindset? What must I do? In fact, in this culture, Jewish culture, being morally successful was the most important thing that you could be. In fact, not only was it the most important thing that you could be, it set you apart from the rest of society. And this young man shows up and he says, perfect, perfect, perfect. But anyone who shows up And if we're really to look deeper into the story, anyone that shows up and he says, what must I do, not only has missed the point, but when you show up saying, what must I do, there's always something more. You see, when it comes to an achievement mentality or resume mentality, what happens is this, is how do you know if it's enough? It's just like uh, Rockefeller said, how much money is enough? He said, one dollar more. How many good deeds is enough to enter? One more. Man, I gotta help some more little old ladies across the street, right? I gotta give a few more dollars in the offering plate. How much is enough? I don't know, but it's probably good for another more. One more, here we go. And the problem is this, is that when you live by that mentality, there's an emptiness that seeps into the soul. Because how will you ever know if it's enough? Insecurity begins to creep in. I've done all these things. I've achieved everything that I've wanted to achieve, he says, and yet I still feel empty. I'm still worried. I'm still up late at night. The dark seasons of the soul, I don't know where I stand. And he runs to Jesus and he says, what more must I do? There's somebody here today, and I came to tell you that this is the same mentality that you have. You show up and you're saying, what more must I do? Maybe if I show up today... And you say, I'm just gonna be here and I'm gonna give some money and I'm gonna start going to church. That's what I've got to do. Oh, I know Jesus, I know Jesus, I'll give up the alcohol. Or I know, I know, I'll put that filter on my phone now. Or, oh, I know, I'm, gonna just, I'm just gonna get off of social media. It's really bringing me down. What more must I do to get into your good graces, God? See, but the problem is, is that for every achievement, he's left with an emptiness, because he doesn't know. And I believe the same is there for you and I. The second example of goodness that I want us to take a look at is the example of a needle. We've got a picture up here. So this right here is a beautiful needle, right? If you're a nurse, my wife is a nurse. She loves to like poke my, uh, my veins. I don't know, it's something about being a nurse. She looks at this and just thinks she can draw blood. It's weird. <laughs> these are needles, these are beautiful, right? Like, you look at this, it's incredibly smooth. Like, there's no flaws or deficiencies in this. No deformities. Like, it looks absolutely perfect from our vantage point. But have you ever looked at a needle from up close? You ever seen it underneath a microscope? This is what a needle looks like underneath a microscope. Can you imagine that? I mean, look at this. this when you get up close, do you see the pockmarks? Do you see the striations? Do, do you see the deformities? You see, from far away, it looks absolutely perfect and flawless, but up close there's all these deficiencies. You see, in life, the same is true of this needle, is true of us, is that the closer that we get, what's revealed is more of the deformities and the holes in the human soul. The closer you look at anything, what you find are blemishes and deformities. And what we do is we try to use this resume mentality to cover up these areas. We try to cover up, we try to hide, we try to mask, we try to put the filter on, we try to put on the happy face, everything's good. We use a lot of different words for it, but essentially what it is, it's masking the true state of the soul. Friend, you may have achieved everything that you've ever wanted to achieve, but when you go to bed at night, the nagging question still remains. How good is good enough? there's some of you listening here today and you have achieved so much. And everyone looks at you and they see that resume and the flawlessness, the curated profile, the pictures, the filters, the developed career, the next bullet point on the resume. But deep down, you still know the deformities. Up close, you still see the park marks. Jesus is speaking to both us and to the rich young ruler. And, he, and when the rich young ruler, he asks the question, he says, what must I do? Jesus responds with this. Look at the verse. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You See, Mark sets the backdrop of this story with another story. See, Mark was brilliant in how he wrote his gospel, this biography of Jesus, his, this account of Jesus' life and the times of Jesus. And what he does is he, he picks stories to juxtapose one to the other. And I want us to look at this because Mark juxtaposes, do you remember the story of the little children coming to Jesus? He juxtaposes this story with the rich young ruler coming to Jesus. It's no coincidence Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. It says, when Jesus saw this, meaning that Jesus was there teaching, and in this day and age in society, they pushed children away, they pushed women away. This was a patriarchal society. And when Jesus sees this, it says, he became indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not, say that word with me, receive. Come on, say it with me now. What is it? Receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Don't you see? It's not about achieving, it's about receiving. It's not about your list of rights and wrongs, what you've done. It's about sitting there saying, I need you. As you guys saw, I've got three kids, and there was a season where we had three kids under four years of age. Thank you for your prayers, by the way. That was a difficult season. Now, I absolutely adore them and love them. Um, and as any parent with little ones knows, you, as much as you love and adore them, how I many you of know they can be exhausting, right? Come on, somebody. Yeah, I see some hands in the back. Exactly. They can be absolutely exhausting. And there's something that's so interesting because when I think about this, as much as I love them, there's literally nothing these little guys can do that can benefit me other than just being cute and cuddly. Like, there's nothing that they bring to me that adds value or benefit, right? It isn't like they're sitting there like, oh, dad, I'm gonna start folding some laundry or hold on, dad, you take a break, you take a break. I'm gonna do some dishes. Or dad, I know you're struggling on the mortgage. I got this, right? How many know they don't bring any of that? You know what kids bring? Noise and need. (laughs) Noise and need, that's all they bring. How many know that that's what we bring to God? God says, I just want you to come to me. All you bring is not a list of achievements. What you bring to me is need. Mark juxtaposes the two stories. He says, Jesus, he says, he's indignant. He says, let them come to me because this, this is how you enter the kingdom of God. There are no spiritual superstars. There's no spiritual uh, superstars that enter into the kingdom. No, it's just a bunch of people that say, I am lost and broken. And if it weren't for the grace of Jesus, I wouldn't be here. And we show up saying there, right there, that's the star, that's Jesus. Jesus says this is the difference. Now let me ask the question again. We read the story of the rich young ruler. Let me ask the story, what is missing from him? What's missing from the story? I mean, I don't see any need. What need does the rich young ruler have? Put another way, why would a man who has everything need anything? Why would a man who has everything need anything from God? He, the rich young ruler, like so many of us, are trying to turn our material wealth into a spiritual treasure to deal with an inner sense of poverty. Like so many of us, we're trying to turn physical beauty into a spiritual beauty to cover an inner sense of deformity, it's a mask, it's a cover-up, it's a resume, and how ironic it is that the children who come to Jesus in the former story possess absolutely nothing and are told they're given everything, and the man who has everything is told he still lacks the greatest thing. Mark and Jesus are trying to show us here. You know, the sad part is, is that if we continue down this resume mentality, what happens is that it begins to alienate us from God. It begins to distance us from God because, again, we're not sure where we stand. I need you to hear me today that God may be your boss. He may be your example. He may be your guru. But friend, unless he is your savior, you've missed the point. Jesus tells him, imagine Everything that you love, gone. Imagine, young man, all your homes, your business, your status, your influence, all of it is gone, and you're just a schmo. But you got me. And what does he do? He says, imagine it all gone, and what does he do? This is what happens. It's the most pivotal point of this story. It says that at this, the man's face fell. And he became sad. The old King James, I love how it's translated. And it says that he grieved. You know, there's another place that the same Greek word is used of Jesus. And it's used in Matthew 26 when Jesus is there in the night of the Garden of Gethsemane. It says there at the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was praying. It says in that moment that he began to sweat. He began to go into shock. He began to grieve. You see, for Jesus, he was literally losing the greatest thing in his life. The greatest dislocation of who he was as a person was being separated. He was losing his center, his meaning, his identity. Jesus was literally losing relationship with the Father. You see, up until this point, from eternity past all the way to this point, Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, had lived in perfect community and communion together. That there had been relationship and love, perfect submission and sacrificial love, back and forth, one to the other. And at this night, Jesus, he's saying, is there any other way? Is there any other way to do this, to to save humanity? And the Father says, there is no other way. Jesus begins to grieve, go into shock, and he begins to sweat drops of blood because he was losing his very identity. He was losing the father. Jesus calls to this young man, and he says, I want you to lose your money. He begins to sweat. He begins to go into shock, and he begins to grieve. You see, money for this young man was what the father was to Jesus. He was his very center, he was identity. If he lost this, who was he? You see, if you want God to be your savior, you have to replace what you're already looking to and you have to replace it with Jesus. The interesting thing is that, do you see the nuance within the story it actually isn't his financial wealth that's hindering him. It's not his financial wealth that's stopping him from entering heaven. It's actually his moral wealth. It is his moral wealth. It's his sense that he does not need the grace of God he comes to Jesus, and he says, here I am, Jesus. I'm, I'm so close. Here I am. I'm, I'm just one step away. If I can just take the step, I will have eternal life, right? Like, what must I do? There's just a couple more things. If I can just take the step, tell me what it is, and then I will have eternal life. And here he stands, and Jesus goes, bro, you're not one step away. You're on the whole other side of the parking lot. He goes, you've totally missed what this is about, You may be here today or you may be watching online and you show up and you think, man, what must I do? How can I help be a better person? What can I do to to help myself? And Jesus is saying there's nothing, nothing that you can do. You're not a step away. You're on the whole other side. You're on another trail. And the rich young ruler, it says that his face falls. He begins to grieve and he goes away sad. Who then can be saved? Jesus looks at them and his disciples and he says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Jesus tells them the only people that are Christians are those that realize their salvation is impossible. That it's impossible to morally earn your way to heaven. It's the absolute miracle of God. That it's a complete intervention for us to come into faith that we have to sit there and say, God, I need you. That's all that we bring. Friend, don't you see the greatest hindrance to heaven isn't your moral record, your list of rights and wrongs, right? It isn't your resume that you present. Your greatest hindrance to heaven is your perceived lack of need. And it stands in the way of this rich young ruler. You see, you have to see that even your good is but filthy rags before God. I'm gonna close with, this last thought, verse number 21. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. It says that Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. I wonder, why did Jesus look at him, and it says that he loved him? In fact, in Mark's gospel, it's so unique. This is one of the only spots that it says that Jesus, as with his interactions, that he loved Someone. There must have been something so dynamic in this relationship. There must have been something that so drew Jesus to this young man. I mean, I don't think it was because he saw virtue and goodness in him. I don't think he said, man, you've been such a good little boy. You've honored your father and mother, right? You've done so many good things for the community, right? You're just a great person. Everybody in the room says so. No, I I don't think so. You see, I think the reason why he was filled with love is because for this young man who shows up with everything the world has to offer, he came there empty. And he's standing before a man who held no earthly possession and yet was completely filled, asking, what must I do? You see, this rich young ruler, he didn't realize it, but he stood before the true rich young ruler The true rich young ruler who would come from heaven and put on the form of flesh to enter into humanity. A true rich young ruler who wouldn't hold tight to power or money, who wouldn't hold tight to glory or riches, but said, I've come for you. I'm a true rich young ruler too. I know what it is to give up and the true rich young ruler he looks at him in the eyes and he says would you just let go because there's a cancer inside you that's killing you there's something inside you that i know you're trying to hide the deformities i know you're trying to hide all the pock marks. you're trying to hide everything that says i've got it i'm okay i'm okay i'm okay if you would just sit there and realize that you're not and it's okay it's okay I've come for you. Here he was, he asked this rich young ruler, he says, if you would just let go and come follow me, I'd give you everything. And I know it because I've let go of everything to come find you. He was the true rich young ruler who went to the cross for you and for me, who sacrificially gave up his life. because he had you on his mind. I don't know where you're at today, but I know this, that there's a God that loves you, who loves you so much that he would leave heaven. He would put on this dirt suit that we call skin and bone. He would humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross so that you might find life. Second Corinthians says this, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So we ask the question one more time, how good is good enough? Friend, there's been only one who's good enough to enter heaven and his name's Jesus. Today, he's offering heaven to you, not on your merit, not on your works, not on your resume. He's offering heaven to you based off of your need. I wonder if you're here today, you say, Ben, Ben, I want that. I'm tired of working, tired of striving, tired of wondering, is this all that there is?